0: This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. You may be seated. Simple question to open up our time together. Has the church replaced Israel? Has the church replaced Israel? Now, why would I bring up that question in the first place, you might be wondering? What's the relevance in asking such a question? Well, over the past couple of weeks, we've been primarily looking at the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of the body of Christ, the doctrine of the people of God, looking at those who, you know, what is the church, who is in the church, what is the purpose of the church. Next week, we're going to be looking at how should the church be ordered or structured, and today, it's very important that we ask a question about the correlation between Israel and the church. Okay, I'm going to zoom out and help you try to figure out why is that important and why is that relevant for us today. One of the core doctrines that we confess as Christians is God is faithful. Amen to that one? God is faithful. Okay, God keeps his word. He keeps his promises. As Hebrews tells us, Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God who spoke promises is the same God who's going to see that they come about. God keeps his good word. This is in stark contrast to, say, the God of Islam, who is a capricious God. And by that, I mean, he can change his mind. He can go back on his word. He doesn't have to do what he says. He can just, on a whim, change his mind. Okay, our God is a God who is bound by his word, who is bound by his good word. Okay, God is faithful to his promises. We adhere to this and we believe this, we confess this as Christians. So think about it like this. In the New Testament, we see one of the precious promises that we hold on to, especially in the face of death. What is that? For those who die in Christ, Jesus is going to come back into the world is going to resurrect them from the dead, and he's going to renew this entire world so that all the resurrected with him will rule and reign in this renewed earth. Okay, That is the hope of Christianity. The hope of Christianity is not simply going to heaven. It's not simply getting a gold mansion. It is to be with God, but not just to be with God. It's to be with God here on earth. That's where God wants to have fellowship with us, here on this earth. Hey, that's promises that are unpacked, that are dissected in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, and we believe that, we hold on to that, we take joy in that, because why? God is faithful. God is going to see that his word happens, that his promises happen. So what does that have to do with Israel? And when I talk about Israel this morning, I'm referring to the Jewish people, okay? the ethnic Jews, the, the ethnic people who descended from Abraham and following So what does that have to do with Israel or this talk about God's faithfulness? It's simply this. Has God been faithful to Israel? Has God kept his promises to Israel? Or has he turned his back on them and forgotten them? Has God shifted his attention from Israel because Israel, you know, they sinned, they rebelled, they didn't believe in the Messiah, so God therefore turned his attention to the church and his primary focus is on the church today. Has he neglected the Jewish people in favor of the church? Has Israel's special place in God's heart been replaced by the church? I hope you see why this is an important topic. Because it's getting at the very heart of who God is. Is God faithful? Okay? That's the, the main concern that I want to address. Is God faithful to his people? And believe it or not, in the New Testament, this question, this very topic is brought up quite often. Because you have to keep in mind, in the first century, Jesus was a Jew, the disciples were all Jews, okay? This was steeped in Jewish um, doctrine and Jewish scriptures, right? The Old Testament. Christianity was not just this some foreign thing. Christianity was born and sprung out of a very Jewish context, all right? And in the first century, the Jewish people and the Gentiles, they were wrestling with this topic. How does the, where's the blend? How do Gentiles fit into God's picture with the Jewish people? And, and Paul and others were wrestling with these very questions in several of the letters that we have in the New Testament. So this morning, what I simply want to ask is, has the church replaced Israel? Okay? Here's the simple answer for you. No. Okay? The church has not replaced Israel. Instead, the church has been grafted into the covenant promises of Israel and with Israel. Okay? Has the church replaced Israel? No. Instead, the church has been included to enjoy the plan of God's salvation. All right. So let's turn to God's word and consider what he says about this issue. Okay, this is a very big one, a very deep one, a very complex one. And like a lot of doctrines, I I hope I, I kind of get tired of saying it. You might get tired of me saying it, but I, it needs to be said, I cannot do justice to this topic in one sermon, okay? Much less a lifetime. Scholars and faithful Christians are still trying to wrestle with how do the Jew and Gentile thing piece together? A lot of the New Testament is consumed with this topic. We're going to do our best to give you, I'm going to do my best to give you some tools, some biblical Framework, some lens by which you can think about this and even articulate it for your own life and for your own beliefs. So, to formulate a biblical understanding, we're going to look at number one, Jesus is the true seed of Israel. Number two, Gentiles have been grafted in to the olive tree. Then, number three, the barrier between Jew and Gentile has been broken. All right. so firstly, Jesus is the true seed of Abraham. Turn to Galatians chapter 3, please. And I hope you have a Bible because there's, we're going to be looking at, staring at a few of these passages um, pretty directly. And as I preach, right, zoom out, preaching in general, when I, when I stand up here to preach, one of the underlying goals I intend to accomplish every Sunday I'm not going to do it perfectly, but I'm going to strive to do it. One of the underlying goals I'm trying to do every Sunday is to have you be able to see, with your own eyes, where I'm coming up with stuff, okay? Stated slightly differently. I don't want you to ever have to think, oh, he's just coming up with that out of nowhere. I want you to be able to see in the text what I'm saying. And I'm not trying to just say what I want to say. I want to say what God's Word says, okay? Our agenda is set by God Himself. Our goal, our responsibility, is to submit to what he has said. All right, so Galatians 3.16 is what we're looking at. This is another good 3.16 verse for you to remember, if not the actual verbiage to remember the the reference. Galatians 3.16. Look at it with me. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but... And to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say into seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. First of all, we have to ask, what are these promises that Paul is referring to? God through Paul, the promises. What promises? What, What is Paul talking about? What is he referring to? Well, in the book of Genesis, which we've been reading through together, that phrase, in terms of Abraham and his seed, or offspring, that's another fair translation of what that word is, that phrase is used a few times in Genesis regarding the promise of God. One of them is Genesis 12, verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, or to your seed, I will give this land. Okay? Genesis 13, verses 14 to 15, this promise is reiterated yet again. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring or your seed forever. Now based on that plain reading of Genesis right there, those two verses I just highlighted, those two promises, it's the same promise, just reiterated. It seems as though God's promise is intended for all Abraham's descendants. Isn't that the way that it's plainly worded? Right? To your offspring, I'm going to give you this land. Okay? That's the plain reading. But really think about it. That's not the case because as we proceed throughout the biblical narrative, the intended people is narrowed down. What do I mean? Think about Genesis 21. We're introduced to Isaac and Ishmael. God's promise, covenant promise, was narrowed down to Isaac and his descendants. You get further in Genesis chapter 25. Who are Isaac's children? Jacob and Esau, the twins. Okay? And who did God choose between the two? Jacob. Okay, Jacob is Israel. That's the same name. So God chose Jacob, God chose Israel over Esau. So we see it's narrowed down even further. By the time we get to Kings and Chronicles in the Old Testament, it's narrowed down even further because we see God's faithfulness being explicitly given to Judah and Benjamin. Okay, the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. You fast forward all the way to the New Testament. By the time we get to the first century, God, through Paul, makes it clear that it's been narrowed down to one Jewish man, Jesus Christ. Okay, that is right there in the text. The promises were spoken to Abraham and his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So again, to recap, the promise of receiving a blessed inheritance from God is ultimately about Jesus. That is what is clear in the text. It's ultimately about Jesus and you might be wondering, what's the correlation between Jew and Gentile today and the Jewish people? Look at Galatians 3, verse 26. This is key. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus." If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Are you piecing together what this text is saying right here? Okay? Think about it like this Jesus has been invited to the table of God's presence, if you will. Okay? Jesus is the only one who can legitimately go before the table of God because he's the only one who is holy, he's the only one who wears. Again, the right clothes in holiness and righteousness. He's the only one who can have a seat at God's table. He's the only one who is going to inherit the land. Which if you look at Romans 4.13, right, today the nation state of Israel, it, I don't know the square mileage of how big it is, but obviously that's the, the, the area in which the Jewish people you know, were birthed and, and began. But in Romans 4.13, Do you know what God's heart is for his people? It's not merely to inherit a little strip of land. Romans 4.13. Listen to this. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of a little strip of land. That's not what it says. It says it wasn't through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. God's intention is, God's heart, from the very beginning in Genesis 1-2, his heart is for his people to rule, to inherit the entire world. Okay? And yes, the the little area in the current Middle East, that's a microcosm of what God wants to do globally, right, across the entire world. So that's for Christ. Christ is the true, the faithful son of Abraham. He is the faithful son, the faithful seed of Abraham. And he is the one whom these promises were ultimately spoken about. But you see in Galatians 3, everyone who is in Christ. Now what does that phrase mean? What does it mean to be in Christ? That means to believe in him, to follow him, to trust him, to trust in the Messiah, to trust in Jesus of Nazareth. For everybody who is in Christ, it tells us, right, verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and you are heirs according to the promise. Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. If you are in Christ, this promise is intended for you. For all of God's people will inherit the land together. Okay? This is very important to take away. The promises spoken to Abraham and his seed are ultimately referring to Jesus. And everyone who is in Christ through faith We'll inherit the land together. Number two, Gentiles have been grafted in. Right? These are all building blocks. right? That's one picture of what I'm talking about. Turn to Romans chapter 11. Trying to help formulate and train and instill in, in each of us a biblical worldview. Right? How to think through these different things from a holistic, full picture perspective of what God's word says. In the New Testament, Jesus and his apostles' first and primary mission field was to the Jews. Okay? That's not a controversial statement at all. Okay? Jesus' first mission field was to the Jewish people. And as Paul says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. What's that phrase after that? First to the Jew than for the gentile. Okay? But nonetheless, the gospel was first for the Jew. It was first for the Jewish people because they were as Roman nine, Romans 9 talks about, they were the ones who received. Let me let me read this for you. So Paul in Romans 9 he's addressing this issue. What's the benefit in there being a Jew? Right? If gentiles can come into the the kingdom, if gentiles are going to inherit the world, what's their what's the benefit in being a Jew? Listen to what he says. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Okay? So it's firstly for the Jew, but it doesn't, it's not exclusive to the Jewish people, okay? This is one of the big thrusts of the book of Acts. The gospel is to go out first in Jerusalem, then Judea, which is the surrounding region of Israel, right? And then to Samaria, which is outsiders, kind of half-breeds, half-Jew, half-Gentile. And then it's going to go to all the Gentiles across the entire world. By the time we get the book of Romans, well, where is Rome at? Okay, it's hundreds of miles away from Israel. It is in Gentile land. So Romans was written to Romans, right? And this audience is composed of both Jew and Gentile, most likely. And Paul is addressing the issue, what is the role of Gentiles in God's plan? If God's plan and his heart, his intention was to bless the people of Israel, how do the Gentiles fit into this? That's what Paul addresses, especially in Romans 9, 10, and 11. Now look at chapter 11, verse 13. He explicitly says, I'm talking to you, Gentiles. And if, for whatever reason, forgive me, if you don't know what a Gentile is, that's you and me, okay? A Gentile is anybody who is not a Jew, who is not an ethnic Jew, all right? So it's most everyone in the world. I'm talking to you Gentiles. He's addressing them directly. And then he uses a picture of Jesus as the olive tree Okay, we find this in verse 16 and following. Paul says, If the root is holy, so are the branches. Okay, if the root is holy, so are the branches. And as we know from the imagery that Jesus himself used in John 15, right? Jesus is the root, he is the center trunk, he is the vine, and then there are branches that break off from that center thing that gives life. Okay, so Jesus is the root. If the root is holy... So are the branches. Jesus is the holy root. Okay? Now listen to verses 17 to verse 24. If some of the branches have been broken off, let me stop right there. Who is Paul referring to there? If some of the branches have been broken off, who were the original people connected with God? Israel, right? The Jewish people. Okay, this is a little bit of Bible history. This has a lot of stuff going on. I'm trying to help it make it simple for you, the Jewish people are those branches. Okay, they were connected to God. They were given. They were they received the covenant promises of God. But right there, verse seventeen, some of the branches have been broken off. All right. And you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others. Who's he talking about? Gentiles outsiders to the faith, okay? And you, you Gentiles, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, But they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will also be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, If you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Do You see a little picture of what's going on there. Gentiles have been grafted into the olive tree of God's kingdom. Gentiles have been included, have been invited to participate in the root, in Christ. Now, I hope you took note. There is one condition, only one condition by which anybody can be affiliated with the root. What is that? Look at the text again if you need to see the answer. There is one condition that connects you to the root. What is that? Belief. Yes. It is faith. Faith in what? Faith in who? Not some generic abstract idea of faith. Faith in the Messiah. Faith in the holy root of Israel, being Jesus Christ. Okay? Whether you're a Jew or Gentile, the only way that you can partake in the covenant blessings is if you have faith in the Messiah. This is so important to keep in mind. Okay? There's kind of two spectrums by which people approach Israel in general. On the one hand, you have what's known as replacement theology, which is kind of self-explanatory. It's the idea that The church has replaced Israel. God is, this is a crass way to put it, God has abandoned Israel. His focus is on the church now, all right? On the other end of the spectrum, there are some who kind of advocate this idea that God has two plans of salvation, right? So for the church, they're going to be saved by having faith in Jesus. For the Jewish people, the way that they're going to get saved is by simply being Jewish, okay? And then it just brings up this, there's these two modes of salvation, which that's not biblical at all as we see here and as we're going to see in Ephesians, right? So we can't, you know, either both of those are wrong. We need to have a biblical holistic view. And here we see Jew and Gentile must come to faith in Christ. This is key. So has the church replaced Israel? No, okay, it has not. I love what one scholar put, how he worded it. Listen to this very carefully. Not one single ethnic Jew who believes in Christ as the Messiah has been replaced or lost his or her inheritance in the blessings of the covenant. Rather, every single ethnic Gentile who believes in Jesus Christ as the Messiah has been included in the commonwealth of Israel engrafted grafted into the one olive tree. Thus, the true Israel... The true seed of Abraham, which is to say, remember from Galatians 3, the true seed of Abraham is all of those who are in Christ by faith. It doesn't matter what the ethnicity is. Together they will inherit the blessings of the covenant. Okay? It's not as though God has two trees. There is one tree. Jew and Gentile have been grafted in to the one tree. All right? And as Romans 15.27 says, as Paul later would say, the Gentiles, you and I, we have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings. Okay? Number three, the barrier between Jew and Gentile has been dismantled or broken. As God saves his people, there's many different images and pictures that are used to describe what that looks like and how he did that throughout the New Testament and even the Old Testament. If you only think of salvation in terms of this tree, in terms of the agricultural, um, you know, analogy, it only gives us a limited perspective, right? We need the whole Bible, we need the whole counsel of God to get a full, robust picture of what God is up to and what he has done. So if you just simply think about it in terms of the tree again, you might be tempted to think, all right, all right I, I'll acknowledge, I see in Romans 11 that there is one tree, and I, I get in Galatians 3 that there is you know one seed being Christ, and both Jew and Gentile are in Christ. Now, I, I grant you that. But especially with the tree image, it seems like the Jews are still over here, these kind of branches on this side, and then the Gentiles have been grafted in over here. They've kind of got their own different spin and different cultural ways of going about things. Yeah, sure, we share in the same uh, root, we share in the same trunk, if you will, but they're still kind of distinct and separate. Now, yes, does God, when you become a Christian, does that mean your ethnicity is gone? No, okay? God created ethnicity, right? He created different cultures. Your ethnicity is not gone as soon as you become a Christian, right? There are still distinctions, right? I'm still brown when I become a Christian, you're still white when you become a Christian. Okay, just to put it plainly, right? But at the same time, there is something significant that happens. A wall has been broken and two become one. What am I talking about? Ephesians 2 and 3. Please turn there and look at it with me. Ephesians 2 and 3. Chapters 2 and chapter 3. It blows the picture that there are two distinct, separate entities It blows that picture out of the water. Because in Ephesians 2 and 3, what we see is God making one new humanity out of the two. So in Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10, what is Paul doing there? God, through Paul, extolling the glory of salvation. This is what the gospel is. You were dead in your sin, but Jesus Christ, through his death, through his resurrection, he has made you alive in Christ. You are saved freely by grace through faith in him. It has to do with anything that you can do or what you've done so that you can't boast in yourself. In other words, verses 1 to 10, Ephesians 2, what is Paul talking about? Being reconciled to God. Okay, that vertical restoration. In verses 11 and following, Paul applies this gospel truth to people in terms of Jew and Gentile. You've been reconciled to God, but look at how the gospel reconciles you to one another. Two very distinctly different sets of people. God is now uniting together through his son, Jesus Christ. This is an astonishingly beautiful passage, and I just want to read all of it. Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 22. Listen closely. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth We both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in in which God lives by his Spirit. Now, Jew and Gentile are united, okay? Ontologically speaking, Jew and Gentile, for those who have faith in Christ, we are now one people of God. Does that mean that there's perfect unity in the church? Far from it, okay? But that's what Ephesians 4 and following are all about. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 more or less are about This is the gospel. This is what God has done to reconcile you to himself. This is what the gospel means for you amongst yourselves. Jew and Gentile have been united together. Then Ephesians 4 and following, what does he say? As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And then verses 3 to 6, I think is quite significant, especially in light of what we just read. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You see the repeated word there, one, unity. Maintain unity. Be one in Christ. Fight for that unity. Strive for that unity in a good, God-pleasing way. So yes, we are one in Christ. It takes a lifetime to live that way, to act that way. But nonetheless, it's explicitly clear, Jew and Gentile are now one together in Christ Jesus. And look at Ephesians 3 verses 1 to 6. Paul says that this work, this unifying work, is one of the great mysteries of God. Okay, so if you're having trouble to scratch your head around this one, well, it's a mystery of God, all right? But if in Ephesians 3, verse 6, what we opened with, the word of God says, This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So church, wrapping it all up, Jesus is the true Israel. He is the true faithful descendant of Abraham, the one who perfectly and faithfully lived out the covenant demands that were placed upon Abraham. He kept up his end of the bargain, if you will. Every other person, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you get to all the kings of Israel, every single person has fallen short of that standard. There is only one who is perfect, and that is Christ himself. He is the faithful, the true seed of Israel. Church Gentiles have been grafted into the olive tree. We have not replaced any faithful believing Jew. By no means. We have been included in God's plan of salvation. We have been invited to the table alongside our Jewish brothers and sisters. And now, because of what Christ has done, there is no more barrier. There is one. The, wa- the wall has been broken. There is now one body of Christ few application points and then I'm done applying all of this. When it comes to this doctrine of Israel and the church or Jewish people and the church, I please encourage you, be humble and please search the scriptures. Okay? There are many TV preachers and many YouTube preachers that make their entire ministry based on both Israel and the end times. Usually they go hand in hand. Okay? Not everything they say is true. They are very loud. I, I've come across several of them this past week. Not everything they say is true. On the converse, I'm not saying they're all false heretics. Right? What I'm saying is be humble and search the scriptures. Okay, Fact check everything, if you will, to what God's word says. And on that note, number two, interpret the Old Testament through the lens of the new. All right? And just... Straight up acknowledging today, I'm fully aware that there are tons of promises in the Old Testament about Israel, about the land, about the people, right, about all this kind of stuff. There's a whole lot of them, and I'm down for conversing with you about what does that mean? When is that going to happen? What does that look like? I simply say this, interpret the Old Testament through the lens of the new, right? Because we ought to ask, how should we understand the Old Testament, in light of who Jesus is and what he has done. It's so important to do that because if you only take the Old Testament and apply it straightforwardly and literally, you might be misapplying it. I'm not saying it's all spiritual, it's all allegorical, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, as Paul and Jesus himself did, look at the Old Testament through the lens of the new. Number three, be grateful. Okay, be grateful. I hope that, through our time together, what we did this morning, I hope at the very least you're grateful. Okay? Remember where you came from. That's one of those things. I think parents say to their kids, right? Remember who brought you into this world. Remember where you came from. And it's true. Remember where we came from. We as Gentiles do not deserve the covenant blessings of God. We do not deserve the blessing of being able to have his word, to know his word, to live out his word. You and I, as Gentiles, have been grafted in. We have been invited to the dinner table, if you will. Okay? You do not deserve to be at the table. You've been invited in graciously. Be grateful for that invitation, for that inclusion. And then finally, be praying for the Jewish people. Okay? Pray for the Jewish people. Romans 15, 27. I quoted that one earlier. It says, if the Gentiles have shared. In the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. Now in context, what is Paul talking about? Well, there's a Jewish group of believers who are poor, who need food, who need water. What is Paul saying? He's admonishing and encouraging the Roman church, Hey, you Gentiles, you have shared in the salvation of the Jews. The least you can do is share with them your material blessings. Give them some food. Give them some water. What you have partaken from them is far greater than anything you could ever give to them. So, what does that mean for you? Not today, 21st century. Yes, there are ministries that do support Israel, that do bless and serve the Jewish people primarily. If you want some of those, I can um, connect you with some of those afterwards or later on. But one of those, you know, those classic things we can all do: pray, pray for the Jewish people. And yes. I'm talking about pray for what's currently going on, right? All the chaos and the war going on in the current nation state of Israel. Yes, pray for peace. But more than that, what's more dire, and I hope you see this, for Jewish people, for Palestinians, for all the surrounding nations there, what's more dire than for human peace is for those people, for all of us, to have peace with God, right? Pray for the Jewish people that they might trust in Jesus as the Messiah. Because as God's word is explicitly clear, there's only one way to get connected to the root. It is through faith in the holy root himself, Jesus Christ. So pray for the Jewish people that they would um, come to trust in Christ. And what's the promise that we see in Romans 11? If they do not persist in unbelief, Romans 11:23. 23, if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in for God is able to graft them in again. So church, I hope that's given you just a little bit of an idea of how to think through this. The topic of Israel and the church is massive. I did not address one of the most controversial verses in the New Testament, arguably, which is Romans eleven twenty-seven or 26, where Paul says, in this way, all Israel will be saved. Right, I'm going to save that one for another time. But, uh, Be humble, okay? We have a lot to learn. Search the scriptures. Be grateful. Pray for the Jewish people. God is faithful, okay? We end where we began. God is faithful. God has not given up on his promises. God has not given up on his love for the Jewish people. Instead, God has expanded that love to include Gentiles. He loves the Jewish people. He loves Gentiles. He wants all to come to him. Through faith. May that be what we as a church strive for, to see more and more people come to faith in Christ. So, church, let's pray and then we'll um, close with the doxology. Our Father, I myself feel so unworthy. Attempting to plummet the depths of your word. Concerning one of the most glorious realities. Which is your salvation. Concerning one of the deepest mysteries of all time. Which is how your salvation affects both you and Gentile. Father, I'm inadequate. I fall short. And Father, for all of us. We confess and acknowledge that our own limited, finite human understanding falls short of fully grasping all that your word says. But nonetheless, we thank you that you have spoken to us. We thank you that you have given us clear words in Scripture. And we thank you that though this was a mystery, it was only known to you that you have made it known to us through your w- written word. For those areas which are clear, please help us to be firm to be convinced, to be people of conviction of your truth. For those areas where there's are still mystery, where there's still some un- unknowns, please help us to be humble. Please help us to search the scriptures. Please help us to be charitable. But Father, please help us above all to strive for unity in you. We only know that's possible by your spirit. who unites us together in Christ. Help us to break down any prejudices or any barriers that we might have against people who might think differently than us. May we be united together in the truth of your word, in the truth of who your spirit is, and in the truth of the gospel. Please help us, Lord. Please help us. Apart from you, we are nothing. Apart from you, we are wasting our time. But we know, Holy Spirit, that by your strength, by your power, We can do all things as long as we are striving to please you. Help us to do that as we spend time in your word. We do ask that you'll please be with uh, the nation state of Israel today, for the surrounding countries, those in conflict over there. We ask that you'll please bring human peace. You'll see that the carnage, that the chaos, the vitriol, that the hatred will be vanquished that they will be able to live in peace together again. But Father, we know that that really can only happen if there is peace with you first and foremostly. Will you please embolden your church, embolden the Christians who are over there, the believers who know you, who have faith in you. Help them to be a a good light, to be a good witness in this dark time. Help them to stand upon the truth of your word. Help them to be gracious to outsiders to love their enemies, to pray for those who are persecuting them. And Father, we look forward to the day in which uh, all of your people will be able to inherit this entire world together. And we know that's possible not because we deserve it, not because we have earned it, but because we are in Christ through faith. Help us to abide in him continually, be with us on our ways as we go about our days. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.